Coming up on today's show. The Browns beat the Dolphins and Mason Rudolph is headed to the bench in favor of a guy named Duck. See what I did there? Pat McAfee calls the show to talk belly flops, joining the Tomahawk catchphrase game and takes our slogan to new heights. Toilet dressings, microphone conspiracies, and we rank the best white guys who weren't named after their nationality. All of this and much, much more coming up on another James Beard award-winning episode of The Tomahawk Show. Hey, this is Scott from Dayton. Don't talk! Jarvis is the best receiver in the National Football League. All those touchdowns! Bless them! Let's go, Browns! I'm Jerry from Youngstown, and the Browns are 3-0 and since I started calling into your voicemail line. So clearly, I'll be calling into your voicemail line until about the end of December, when the Browns will be 10-6. and Here we go, Brownies! Here we go! Hey, Joe and Hawk, this is Matt from Cleveland, and <laughs> I just listened to the Manscaped ad of yours. I don't know if you guys need to go on a promotional tour, uh, but that was some that was some real good wordplay there. Uh, I'm I'm sure this is not going to be the last time these guys use you as the the voice and face of such a phenomenal product. <laughs> go Hawk yourself, Joe Hawk yourself. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, ladies and gentlemen. 17 Webby Award winning podcast. Um, I am Andrew Hawkins. Fun fact about me. I dress my toilet even at the house. But at my own house, I put toilet paper on the toilet seat. Is that weird? Let's start this podcast off right. Hang on a second. (laughs) Yeah. So first of all, I didn't know anybody above the age of eight that does that. Even in public restrooms, and you do it in your oh, house. Gosh, What's wrong with you? Public? You don't do you not understand the how in germs work. Do you know how thin those layers of toilet paper are that come in those public restrooms, and how they are not impervious to germs coming through? If anything, yeah. probably absorbing the germs and putting them right on your ass cheek. No, there's nothing worse than cold, strange surfaces touching your skin. Absolutely not. But at my own house. You know, I don't like cold toilet seats, and also I'm kind of a germaphobe, so I don't know. In my mind, it just makes it more safe. Call me crazy, call me weird. I wouldn't expect so, you to dress your own home toilet. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't expect you to dress any toilet because you're you, disgusting. Yeah, thank you. When you said dress a toilet, the first thing I thought is, did he say address a toilet? Like Mister Toilet? Do you call your toilet Mister Toilet at home? Hello, uh, Mister Potable. I've never you heard the term dress. Daddy's I, I've, I've never heard, yeah, I've never heard the term <laughs> "dress a toilet," so that was a new one to me. But uh, is it? It's more of a cold thing for you, or more of a germ thing a, for you? It's a little. It's a mix of both. I mean, it's more of a, a germ thing in my mind. But then I'm like, you know what? Extra benefit. It's it's warm. You know. Hey, I went to the uh, Congress one time with NFLPA. It was right before the lockout or maybe during the lockout uh-huh. and they were bringing players past and I don't even know what the hell the point was, but we got to go like poop in the toilets that Congress pooped in. Right. So <laughs> I enjoyed the U S house of uh, representatives yeah. toilet area and they had this next generation toilet slip cover. That was amazing. Maybe you've seen them before, but it, it's the regular toilet seat, but then it's like a continuous plastic sheath that every time the toilet gets flushed, 
a new sheath like rolls through in like a continuous manner. So you don't ever have to touch it. And it's always a clean, sterile plastic covering that's wow. over the toilet seat. Isn't I, that amazing I, what is amazing. our taxpayer dollars are going towards yeah, for these politicians that are just hashtag blessed, just living the life in D.C.? That's money well spent if you ask me. I mean, you can't, you can't be making up the good laws with, with dirty toilet seat germs. Let's make sure we have anybody that's still listening turn us off here. Uh, do you, being a germaphobe, take the toilet paper in your hand and wipe the seat down before you sit down if there's any maybe uh, oh, wow. frightening yeah. things on there? If there's frightening things on there, I won't use the bathroom. All right. Well, let's say there's nothing that you can see, but do you still like do a, a swab with your hand or will no. you not touch it with your hand? I You'd won't. rather j- just like lay the Usually I'll do mul- I'll, I'll do multiple layers. So you're spending like a good there's five there's been times where I, I do it where I put the the toilet paper on like horizontally like a bunch of horizontal pieces so there's like a drape over the toilet all the way around so it doesn't even come close to touching me <laughs> I'm that kind of guy it so what like, happens when you're done it looks like then? a bed sheet by the time I'm done with it oh my goodness what happens when you're done how do you get rid of it uh I flush it it all so you Pick it up with your hand and throw it in? No, I don't. I, no, 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 no. It's bottom of the sneaker. Typically, I'll throw the sneaker away when I'm done. <laughs> the sneaker? <laughs> it's disposable Nikes. Oh. All right. All right. Well, let's get away from poop talk. All right. Let's the the 17 different. people we have left listening from the 17 million we started <laughs> with. Uh, interact on the show with the show on social media at Tomahawk Show. Join our Facebook group, Tomahawk. Hit our voicemail lineup, 440-628-1376. I am Andrew Hawkins. This is Joe Thomas. Obviously, all of you know that. I don't think we have any new listeners this specific episode. If they did come, they are definitely gone by now. Um, Check us out on Uninterrupted's YouTube page. We drop a video episode every Sunday night, which is the one you're listening to now. So go see our beautiful faces. We don't make trillions of dollars as sports media analysts for no reason. We're beautiful. Um, But let's start the show off, Joe, with Straight Up Dog Check. Dog Check! Mm, the excited dog check means the Browns got a W, baby. They beat <laughs> Miami Dolphins, um, the best Miami Dolphins I've seen since 1972. Might I put that in? Mm. And they are now four and six on the season. Joe, how are you feeling, bro? Feeling good. Uh, I feel like this is what should have been happening when we were playing Patsies earlier in the season. Uh, the Browns finally looked really good in a victory. There was a little bit of a period in the third quarter where they had that little slack, a little bit of a, a loss of focus, yeah. I would say. Maybe they yeah. they took their foot off the accelerator, and it was something that the TV crew talked about a little bit if you were watching the game on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they picked it up. And so uh, other than that, I mean, it just felt good watching a game that you had in control the entire time. Now, I don't know what you can really tell from watching the Miami Dolphins against the Browns in Cleveland because uh, we all know the the Dolphins are tanking on purpose, trying to get that first (laughs) overall pick and failing at that, might I say. Don't beat around the bush. Bengals are way better at tanking than the (laughs) Dolphins are at this point. Um, But it just still felt good to like just have a game pretty much in control from start to finish to see Baker Mayfield throw some touchdown passes, see Odell and uh, Jarvis getting involved. Jarvis – had two touchdowns, almost 150 yards receiving on 10 catches. Uh, he is really starting to be the go-to guy for Baker. Um, that you know, we we thought Hollywood Higgins was going to be maybe that guy that had that really good rapport with Baker, and he's kind of fallen off. He only had one target today. Um, but I mean, but that's more see. than he's had. 
because he hasn't even been playing prior to like. Yeah, but I think week. everyone just kind of expected that he would he would always be getting that three to four catches a game and kind of be the guy that uh, Baker's going to go to when you try to take away Odell and when you try to take away Jarvis, but he just hasn't really uh, matriculated into that role at, at this point. Yeah, and I, I think it's I, I feel you on that. It's it's multifaceted because watching the game today, the the Dolphins are terrible. So like, let me not beat around a bush. Their defensive backfield was horrible. On OBJ's touchdown, Higgins was actually more open than OBJ was. There was literally nobody on him. There was another one I think Baker might have missed um, Higgins mm-hmm. on for a touchdown. So, I mean, yeah, when you have literally two of the best receivers to ever play the game to this point in their careers, it's going to be tough for Higgins to, to get in there. What's quiet as it's kept, Kareem Hunt is undefeated. Right? <laughs> Has he not won every game since he's been here? Three That's in a row. Point. Unlike most stats, uh-huh. there actually is some is to this stat because yeah. he's out there and he's doing all the dirty work for Nick Chubb. He's yep. really putting defenses in a bind with his ability to block, with his ability to catch. He just is a matchup problem, and he had his first – I think it was his first touchdown today, right? Yep. Um, in a Browns uniform, and it looked pretty good there as the uh, the – the Robin to the Nick Chubb Batman. And those guys are really starting to get a nice little rapport, almost 150 yards in the ground today, which was a big part of why Baker in that passing game was so successful. Absolutely. And I mean, if you look at the chiefs, they've lost that element without Kareem hunt. I mean, they, they've, mm-hmm. they've made up for it a little bit with some of the, the Damian Williams and the LaShawn McCoy, but neither one of them are as, a, as dynamic as Kareem hunt is. And to think that Kareem hunt is actually the second back in our backfield in Cleveland, man, it's like, He's been he's been lights out. So, yeah, they're they're good. Joe, you still think they're going ten and six, right? They're winning out. Uh, I'm thinking nine and seven. I think they're going to trip up at some point in the last few games here. They've got what five games to go. Yep. I feel like four and one is probably where they're going to be because it's hard to go and rattle off five wins uh, to finish the season. Or actually, they would be eight in a row. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really hard. You always have one slip up along the way. So, uh, but nine and seven, when you look at the AFC playoff race, that has a really, really good chance of getting in. It looks like Buffalo is kind of running away right now with right. that number one wild card seed. But the way Oakland got smoked today, Pittsburgh looked horrible and they suspended their quarterback the way they should have uh, in the third quarter. <laughs> uh, the NFL didn't do it, so the Steelers had to. Um, they don't look like a team that can beat anybody. I mean, they almost lost to the tanking Bengals today. I yeah. mean, it was it was one of those things where you're like, okay, I give Mike Tomlin credit for winning with uh, the lack of talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball, but that doesn't say much for who they are as a team. Yeah, they won a few games uh, in the middle of the season, but that was more by luck than anything else. And at this point, they're almost an easy out when you're talking AFC. I don't know, man. I I I think actually Tomlin has done a good job because I think this. I think this. No, that's what I'm saying. Sucked. He's done a good job, but you can only overcome bad personnel on offense for so with long. so much as a right. coach. And I I think Tomlin has done a good job. I think actually, if you survey football fanatics after the season, they're going to probably say like, I give Mike Tomlin more credit now than I did going into this season because. He was gifted a great defense and a Hall of Fame quarterback and a great offense with great coordinators on both sides of the ball. And so he mm-hmm. just had to kind of make sure that the the ship was headed in the same direction. But this was really the first team that he's had to deal with tremendous amounts of uh, question marks, especially at key positions. 
And we saw what happened with Antonio Brown and how good that ended up making Mike Tomlin look for being able to keep him in under control and buying into the program for as long as he did. Um, and truthfully, the Steelers are winning games this season that they shouldn't. They just don't have very good personnel on offense. Juju Smith-Schuster is their best player. James Conner, um, good running back, but he's not a leader. He doesn't. He's not a game changer by any stretch of the imagination. Good offensive line, but that, as you know, uh, offensive line, uh, they're worthless, and they're, there's nothing that a good offensive lineman that's, uh, is going to give you that uh, good skill players shouldn't give you in spades. So, so um, they beat the Bengals today, and they benched Mason Rudolph, uh, which was smart. Honestly, they probably they suspended him. They suspended him. Uh, couldn't handle the suspension, as I like to say. Um, so he was out. So Duck Hodges came in. Juju was out with a concussion, so he didn't play. James Conner was out. Um, Edmonds, I think, was out. They had a like the third or fourth running back playing today, and they're on. They're down to their third quarterback. And well, it's really fourth because they traded Josh Dobbs. Yeah, right? really, their fourth quarterback. You're right. So, so Mason was the third string guy, and was, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, because they didn't expect that uh, they would need Dobbs. Um, so here we are. But yeah, so that's like. And the rest of the season, the the Steelers, just looking at the AFC playoff picture, the Bills are in a really good spot, obviously, for the wild card. Um, the Steelers have the Cardinals, the Browns, the Bills, the Jets, and the Ravens. So really, honestly, if 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 both of these teams do what they're capable of, they play at their, their best, it'll come down to them playing each other. Like the Steelers and Browns game will probably decide – if these teams have a chance, obviously it's it'll be a tough sale, but if everything went perfect for the remainder of the season, and hopefully Lamar Jackson doesn't play lights out against everybody, um, which mm-hmm. would completely mitigate all of that. Who else are in there? Raiders lost today. They got their butts whipped by the Jets, so I'm completely out on Oakland. I think that continues the rest of the season. So we'll see what the we'll see what the Brownies do. I would say here here is my playoff race. It's going to come down to that last spot. It's going to be between. Cleveland, Indy, Tennessee, and Oakland. Those are my four that I think are going to fight for that last playoff spot. Because in my mind, Buffalo is going to get the first wild card in the AFC. And I think it's going to come down to those four teams. And it really is anybody's race. They're basically almost the same uh, record. And Mm -hmm. they all have fairly easy schedules. I think Browns have probably one of the easier ones going down. But uh, I I don't think the Steelers have a chance to – keep things going with your four-string quarterback. It's just too hard to win in this league consistently with bad quarterback play. What do you What are you expecting from the Steelers next week when they play the Browns? So Mason Rudolph you don't think is going to play? I'm not ready to say that yet because I feel like they're going to probably try to get him ready to put him out there because I think today's benching was more like a, he's not doing a very good job. We need to create a spark, but we're going to go back to him next week because we that still be think he gives us the so best damn. chance to win. What about you? I don't think he plays because I don't think he is good. Um, and I think the only reason they didn't bench him was because of the fiasco a week ago, and they were like, this would look bad if he uh, took a helmet to the noggin, he got fined <laughs> $50,000, and then he got benched all within a 36-hour period. Yeah, it's been a bad couple of weeks for poor Mason Rudolph. I mean, <laughs> did you find it interesting that he had the highest – straight up fine from the NFL but they didn't suspend him that I mean that was I would I would have been upset if it was anything different 
because that, that that's what I felt like was going to happen when the news came out that he wasn't going to be suspended. I'm like, oh, they're going to find the hell out of him. And they did. That was like a million dollar thing. Like there was like a million dollars worth of fines. Does this give credence to the conspiracy theory that you were buying into that the NFL purposely didn't suspend Mason Rudolph because it would be more punitive towards the Steelers and towards Mason Rudolph to force him to keep <laughs> playing? Yes, that was their penalty. Like, ha, you have, you have to start him versus the Bengals. It doesn't make sense that you come out and say, you instigated the fight, you kept going by going and charging back after Miles when he had your helmet in his hand, but we're not going to suspend you, but we're going to fine you the most out of anybody. I mean, everyone else's fine was based on how severe their role in the incident was, right. and their suspension was similarly severe based on how their role in the fight was. But then all of a sudden there's Mason Rudolph getting fined 50 grand, which I because could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was the highest fine was, value out of all those technically. guys. So that just doesn't make sense to me because it just it's kind of speaking out of both sides of your mouth like, Oh, he doesn't deserve to be suspended, but he deserves to get the highest fine? Well, he got the highest fine based on just straight up and down fines, but he also was not missing any game checks like the rest of them. So yeah, Miles that, only got $45,000 fine, but he's missing so many game checks, the amount of money probably equates to the millions plus. So it's technically Yeah, they said like Miles a fine. is missing over a million dollars. Yeah, and, and, and the other guys are the same checks. way. Ogan Jopi missing a game check is much more than a $50,000 hit. So that's why he had the quote unquote highest fine. I just, I still, it just doesn't make total sense to me from the NFL. I know what you're saying and I get it, mm -hmm. but if the NFL feels they, he was really that culpable for his role in the incident, then why maybe they should have fined him. I mean, I wasn't the one saying that they should have suspended him. Um, I actually think they should, they, they got it right with this, but then they came out with this huge fine and yeah. it was like, well, maybe they do think that he, played a bigger role in it than uh, he did play a huge role talked about. but he did also get hit in the head with a helmet that has to count for something right <laughs> time <laughs> served that has to be like yeah we know that Boom. that's gonna sting in a couple years so all right so we, we got some voice or some some sound from sheldon richardson post-game interview Sheldon, uh, Rudolph got benched today would it be disappointing if he doesn't play next week i don't really care bro mm -hmm. you guys did such a great job of i hope he plays I hope he plays. Why? Did you see him last night? <laughs> you got to love Sheldon Richardson for being honest, but I don't think that helps the Browns case for being that <laughs> honest because, you know, as as much as the Steelers are probably like, all right, Mason Rudolph, we get it. You know, we got to defend him because he's our quarterback. But when, when somebody from the Browns just comes and just swings at him like that in, in the press conference, no you got to think that they're going to try to have his back a little bit, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think so, and I think that was even the sentiment of the, the interviews you heard. Like I said, the Steelers feel like the Browns overdid it that game, not even including the Miles Garrett situation. Like They're talking about the helmet, the helmet hits of Juju, and Juju's still out, um, yeah. the hit of Devont or Deontay Johnson. So that's going to be the bulletin board that Tomlin uses. Uh, I don't think it matters if Mason Rudolph is motivated or not because, again, I don't – think he is good just like I don't think he should be starting I think Ho Duck Hodges and I've said this before that incident I thought he was the better option at quarterback for the Steelers so I'm like Sheldon as a Browns fan I would imagine you want Mason Rudolph to play yeah but you shouldn't say it because all right here, here's the one thing I know 
giving bulletin board material to a quarterback doesn't matter because quarterbacks are already trying as hard as they can. It's not like right. uh, you can say something bad about a quarterback and he's like, oh, well, now I'm going to really try and be a better decision maker and throw more accurately. <laughs> I'm really going like, to study this week. Like are quarterbacks down. are giving their best effort no matter what. Like the people that I wouldn't want to piss off and motivate are those defensive guys because that's where effort really plays into it. And uh, <clears throat> some of the guys maybe on offense, like I don't know, maybe some of the linemen or something. I'm not sure, but they're going to feel like, yo, you shouldn't disrespect our guy. You know, maybe he's not a great quarterback, but I'm sure they think he's a good guy in the locker room, and they probably hang out with him and. So you don't want to motivate the rest of the team that is around Mason by saying stuff like that. <laughs> Although it was really funny, I give was, you that. It, it was, was hilarious. Uh, but I, I think you just got to be a little bit careful with some of that stuff. And I think it, it kind of goes back to some of the things that have gone on this year with the Browns and a bunch of different things with uh, the drama in with Baker and Odell yeah. and the different – shoes and the visor and the watch and then we've got a defensive back that's tweeting death threats at members of the media and it's just <laughs> you know one thing after the other i think hopefully at some point they'll get the message like let's keep some of this in-house like we don't have to put all of our stuff out there for everybody to be reading and to be feeding off of let's just keep this in-house and say you know what we hope mason rudolph gets better and we would love to have another opportunity to go beat him like let's just it. keep it at that and not Get them all fired up. Yes, as a fan, I loved what he said. But if I was in the coaching staff or in that building, I'd be like, oh, man, you didn't have to say that. <laughs> we got more voicemails. Listen, lads, from Dublin, Ireland, Joe Roach here. My friend Dean willfully took a job in the factory of sadness that is the Cleveland Browns. By that, I mean he supports them now. And I'm wondering, what words of encouragement could you give him through this roller coaster season? to help an international fan stay the course with the Cleveland Browns. Go hawk yourself. <laughs> they're, they're, they're getting very close to nailing that uh, that that tagline. Uh, my advice would be just buckle up. I mean, there's no just it's – a, it's a roller coaster. It'll be over at some point. No, only but, God knows when. Just make sure your seatbelt's on. But I feel like that's what makes it so sweet when you have wins. Like, yeah. the bad times are what makes the good times feel so amazing. So, uh, it's okay to feel crappy and emotionally tied up with your team when they have a bad performance because it's just going to make the good times feel so much better. Right. I, as a former Patriot, man, winning is just boring. When you just win all the time, it was no fun. <laughs> I had to get out of there, man. I'm like, this is the worst yeah. month of my life. I'm retiring. All right, John, you got a trivia question for us? Yes, Baker Mayfield has become the first Browns QB with five plus wins in two straight seasons since who? Um, you guys have an answer. Derek Anderson. No. Hmm. It's going to go way back to like Bernie Kosar, I bet. Tim Couch, 2001, Tim. 2002. Tim Couch, really? That oh, the 2002 guess. team, they went nine and seven and they made the playoffs. So I guess that makes sense. So for Browns fans who are like, hmm. you know, a little disappointed with how the season's gone, keep in mind, like this. Is the best you've ever done. <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> in a very long time. <laughs> well, that just means the expectations were super high. Tim Couch wasn't a bust. That's my take. I've, I've said that on national media, and people have argued me down. I don't think Tim Couch was a bust. I disagree with that take that people say all the time. It makes me upset. Look at the numbers. Wasn't a bust. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. 
These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. All right, I think it's time to call our guest for today on the Tomahawk line, our guy, our friend, our pal, Tomahawk veteran, Pat McAfee for the brand. Hello? 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 Hello. You've reached the Tomahawk Pat, what's up, brother? Man, I'll tell you what. I completely forgot that we were going to have this incredible conversation tonight. <laughs> I've been hanging out with my lady over here in New York, watching some football games, having a little spa day, you know, in the room. Love just, it. Just a great little day, boys. Listen, this is your second time on the Tomahawk Show. How does it feel? It's an honor, honestly. Um, Joe came on my show last week, which I was so thankful. And, Hawk, we need to get you on the show as soon as possible. Cause yeah, no, thanks for the invite. That was awesome. Oh, well, yeah. You know, just – Western PA brethren, and, and I don't get any love. It's all good. I get it. I get Hawk, it. Hawk, here's the problem. No, Hawk, here's the problem. Now I got a booker, you know? Oh. I got somebody that does the booking for my live show. I get it. And Joe Thomas is an NFL Network personality now, so he has people. Oh. So, like, whenever, you know, the people all do the talking, what needs to happen is I need to come directly to the big brain of the Hawk and say, hey, I need yep. you on my show. So it's definitely my fault. But I want to let you know it wasn't on purpose. Nah, it's all good. I get it. I love it. Uh, any, any, anytime Joe can mix our uh, tomahawk seed with another podcast show, media giant, it's a good thing for everybody, Pat. There's too much of me right now, Hawk. <laughs> Tell me this. I, I, I have a question for you because I do a lot of stuff. And I'll let Joe jump in here in a second. I'm, I'm kind of hogging it, but you guys just talked. But I do a lot of stuff in media, right? I do the NFL Network. I do... Uninterrupted. I do a million podcasts. I was doing Sports Center Snap, and I felt like I was going to die. Humble brag. Humble brag. But then, <laughs> I, when you watch Pat McAfee, I'm not even kidding. I don't understand how the hell you do it because you're on. You'll be on College Game Day one day. You'll do Thursday Night Football, College Football, ESPN. You'll be on WWE. You're doing your own show in the zone. You're in a truck, like on the road doing shows. Dude, when do you sleep? Well, I, I, you know, Sundays are normally my snooze nights. Oh, Sunday nights because I got to get up tomorrow morning. Also, right. so I get I. What happened here, Hawk? Now, granted, your resume there that you just dropped in was a very impressive one, and I appreciate <laughs> anybody that works their ass off. So I like that a lot. Um, but for me, when I was going around trying to find a job and find somebody that'd be willing to work with me, you know, cause not a lot of people wanted to work with me. You know, what? when I came out of the league, when I, when I came out of the league and decided to retire, Barstool, Dave and Erica were the only people that would hire me. Right. But I didn't want to move to New York. So I kind of ran my own affiliate from Indianapolis, Indiana, kind of learned the internet. I had my own little business before I retired, just kind of continued to, to run that and learn from, from Barstool and grow. And then when I left Barstool to do my own thing about a year and a half after I started, and I stayed in Indianapolis, and no network wanted me, right? So just like whenever I was retiring, no network wanted me. And then when I left Barstool, there was nobody that was, like, pounding down my door for me to come work for him. So I thought I was just going to be this internet dude. So then 
I got an agent. They had me like tour around. I had to glad hand all these motherfuckers. I mean, <laughs> I was just shaking hands all over the place. And uh, they were like, hey, hey, if we had a chance, if you had a chance to, you know, maybe call a game once a week, would you do that? I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. They're like, all right, we'll talk to you later. I'm like, cool. Like, hey, if you had a daily radio show, that'd be something you'd want to do, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. That'd be cool. Hey, if you wanted to uh, maybe make a weekly appearance on Get Up or something like that, you'd want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to do that. That's cool. And then in one week period, they all came. They were like, hey, we want you to do this. Hey, we want you to do this. We want you to do this. So at that point, I have to, like, make a decision. Like, uh, let's do it all. Let's just see how it goes. And it's been a hellacious fall. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. But the schedule has been wild. Oh. And I get naps when I can. Dude, how, there's no way you can sustain that over life. Like, you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a. I mean, I went to West Virginia anyways. Uh, Morgantown, <laughs> West Virginia. It took a lot out of me to begin with. But uh, this fall has been one where I enjoy a nice woo-saw session at some point after football ends. Love it. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things is both you and I actually auditioned for the Monday Night Gig. Now, it was different years. I think you auditioned after Jason Witten had decided to go back to the Cowboys. I did before, and Jason Witten beat me out by a nose hair. But what was that experience <laughs> like when you auditioned? Did you actually go in and call a game with uh, Joe Tessitore and Booger, or how did that work? No, I didn't audition. The only way my <laughs> name was associated with Monday Night Football was my Twitter followers. That's the only – there was never a – there was never a thought or an opportunity for Monday Night Football. It was no audition, nothing like that. It was just uh, McAfee for MNF got trending because my people, uh, who I'm very, very lucky, decide to follow an idiot around on the Internet, uh, started pushing it pretty hard. And other than that, there was no audition or any legitimate thought behind it, aside from a little bit of a social media movement. I had no idea those auditions even happened. I, honestly, I thought Witten's first time in there was the first game. I thought that was the case. Is that because of his performance, or you just genuinely thought that's what, how the process, how the process what, worked? What? No, 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 no. <laughs> Witten killed it. All right, that is a that is not cool, man. Witten was on his way to becoming. I was bad. worried. You know what I was worried about? Because I've got. I think we've all gotten a chance to meet Jason Witten. Good guy, right? Great, Great family guy. man. Yes. Everything like that. Really good football player. I was worried that. The only thing he would get remembered by by a generation of people would be his Monday Night Football performance. So I was very excited he got back on the field <laughs> and uh, is continuing to do well. I was very, very excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that was essentially his version of like the men in black flashy thing to make everyone forget what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't look there. I'm a, right I'm a football here. player. Everyone look over here. I'm a cowboy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. So so what, is, what has been your favorite moment so far? I've seen you belly flop uh, on college game day. Um, I seen you go toe to toe and get up with Greeny constantly. You, I feel like you were tailor made for College Game Day. Can I say that? Like, how did that yeah. even come about? You didn't start the season on College Game Day, right? No. So whenever they went to South Dakota State, um, Kirk Herbstreit came on my podcast during the off season. He was like, he's been following me on the internet for a while. It's been kind of cool to see who has been following me and, and every once in a while I'll get a tweet or I'll meet somebody that'll be like, Oh, I've been following you for a while. And it's people that you would never, ever guess. You know, the internet makes the world a much smaller place. Right. So Herb street had been following me for a bit. And we became friends and, uh, 
exchanged, you know, a couple of DMs and pleasantries. And then he came on my show and he was like, man, I'm going to have you on the show. I'm going to try my best to get you on game day this year as a, as a celebrity picker somehow. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm going to try my best. And I was like, sounds good. You know, that's good. So that was months before the fall season was starting. And then when he went to South Dakota State, uh, Vinatieri, Adam Vinatieri is the most notable out of South Dakota State, and he's still playing. He couldn't make it up there. Mm-hmm. So I think Herbie saw it as a way to tie me in there and kind of asked Vinatieri if he would introduce me to go up there, and it all came through. And had a sleeveless hoodie on, had a blast in front of a large crowd of humans who knew me because I held Vinatieri's balls. And <laughs> I think that type of thing kind of uh, maybe springboarded me into another situation. And then now I just – if I get the call to come back, I just go and have a good time and see what we can do with it. Love it. Well, speaking of kickers, we know Vinatieri's had a bit of a tough season this year, but it Whoa. seems like maybe this is perception, and that's where I'm going. Is like, is the kicking game right now in the NFL worse than it's ever been, or is that just our perception because it's more under the microscope right now? You know, I, I'm struggling with this as well because there was a run whenever I was at Vinny where we hit, I think, the NFL record for consecutive field goals. And I don't remember the exact, but it was almost an entire season Vinatieri didn't even miss, right? And then in practice, if he missed, we would be befuddled and shocked. And then when they moved that extra point back, you started seeing more misses and you started seeing, you know, the separation of the good kickers from the great kickers. And it does feel as if this year there's a little bit more uh, of a good kicker instead of a great kicker ratio in the NFL. I mean, Obviously, there's the greats out there. Justin Tucker is an absolute stud. I mean, that kid can kick balls forever. He missed one last week, though. It's just, I think because of the 33-yard extra point where it's no longer just a layup, I think you start to maybe get a negative feeling towards your kicker if he misses an extra point because the thought is, oh, it's only 33 yards and you could go in. It's only worth one point. It's a gimme. Everybody's happy. Everybody's celebrating, and you miss that. It kind of brings the morale down. So you're kind of a party pooper. So I think you (laughs) – kind of judge kickers a little bit harder for missing those. And then that kind of spirals into the next miss is like, oh, well, we hate them even more. So it could be perception, but I do feel as if there's a lot more misses. And I think that's coming strictly from the 33-yard extra point. All right. Colts, they lost to Houston on Thursday. I was at that game. Uh, it was a tough game, but it really puts the Colts in an interesting position because now they're right in the meat of that wild card race. It kind of looks like the Bills – are going to get that first spot. But there's probably four or five teams that are going to be fighting for that second spot. How do you see Indy finishing the season, and how do you see that second wild card position getting gobbled up? Yeah, I mean, Joe, the ball is out. I mean, the ball is out, Joe. um, uh, Anytime you play on the road on Thursday, it's going to be a tough win, you know? And I think I, I didn't love the way the Colts played. I was calling a game, so I had to watch it back. Actually, afterwards, I was up to like 3, 4 a.m. watching the game. I didn't love the way the Colts played. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton is a game wrecker. He came back, had a couple drops, which is not normal for him. Jacoby could have done a little bit better. Uh, but the ball was out there at the end. So I feel really good about this Colts team. If they can get back to what they were doing very well early, which was offensive line, was dominant. I'm, they could do no wrong behind that offensive line. They could run. They could pass. Jacoby had nothing but time. And in the times that they lose, there's a little bit of a struggle with that. Now, if the Steelers play Duck Hodges, I think the entire NFL is in trouble. You know, I mean, if <laughs> if they take Mason Rudolph out for whatever, whether it's his performance on the football field or 
potentially the things he says or does on the field. <laughs> they came out and, and they put Duck Hodges on there. Look out for the Steelers. And if the Browns, if you guys can get hot, especially after what you did today to a team that although they're damn near dead, they put up a fight against a lot of people. It didn't feel like that today. I think we got a good setup here going in for the playoffs. I think both AFC and NFC, It's uh, I think the NFL is going to reign supreme here in the next couple of weeks and showcase why we have the best league in the fucking world. Hey. Well, being a fellow Yinzer yourself, that was a great transition because you must work in media. I want to know the big Pittsburgh-Cleveland melee from uh, last week. Did the NFL get the suspensions and the fines correct? So I think how swift they did the punishment, I think, was the first thing PR-wise that they got 100% right in a long time, right? You can't let that carry through the weekend. You can't let that carry the entire discussion, not only on College Football Saturday, but into the morning shows on Sunday, maybe even the commentators of games that are blown out. So to handle that, and swing hammer quickly. I think that was a very smart PR move by the NFL. Let's not let, let this linger as the main talking point for our league for a while. Uh, I think the indefinitely suspension that they gave to Miles Garrett off a jump was a smart one because you don't have to give an exact number. You can actually just say, oh, we'll take it out later. We'll give him indefinitely through the season, through playoffs. And if they were thinking about going in the next year, I think it gave them time for that. Pouncey getting suspended three games down to two. I think we all kind of expected that to drop to two because I think all the NFL wanted was him not to play against the Browns the next time. So for me, do I think he got it right? I, I have no idea. That's a very wild situation that I don't think anybody could have seen coming. Um, but with the fines and the suspensions, uh, I just I think it was probably the expected uh, fines and, and punishments that came down. In my eyes, I think it was it was the most expected. And I think it was one that you actually say to the NFL, like, yeah, all right, not not a terrible job like it tends that you guys sometimes do. Yeah, so what what was your immediate thought when you seen Miles Garrett just go ham with the helmet? I I think my first thought was I've seen a lot of things, you know. I'm front row to a lot of shit as a punter and a kicker, you know what I mean? You're, <laughs> you're always watching. Because you're in the middle – you're always watching. You're always there, whether it's meetings or whatever. You're you literally front row for everything. So, I mean, I've seen a lot of naked dudes brawl in the locker room. I've seen dudes fight in practice. I've seen game brawls, both pre the game, during the game, and after the game. I mean, I've seen a lot. I have never seen a football player attempt to hurt another football player like that. Now, granted, punches and stuff like that and wrestling and all that. I mean, that happens, but to take a helmet and swing that thing, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have thought about it. I have never personally seen it. So I think that was something that was most intriguing to me because I think maybe you've seen somebody like potentially swing one, but even be ready to go, Oh shit, probably shouldn't hit him with the helmet. You know, oh, right, probably right. shouldn't do that <laughs> for, for him to make full connection. I was like, damn, uh, that's a wild scene. And then he was a poet too. So there, there was a lot to take in there is that the poetry guy just swung a weapon at a guy and connected. And I would just love to know how that all came to be. And it sounds like since there's no mics anywhere, we're never going to find out other than potentially a, uh, he say, she said type of thing that who knows if any of it's ever going to be good. All I do know is uh, Mason Rudolph got one right in the dome. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. The NFL doesn't have any mics on the field for a nationally broadcast game, but I guess that's just one of the quirks of playing on a short week that yeah. they don't have time to get the battery pack swapped out yeah, and all those mics. How, so I guess how does that happen? Figured out. <laughs> How did, hey, Joe, how does that happen? <laughs> Here is my semi-conspiracy take. If those tapes came out 
no matter what it said on those tapes, it, it was either going to sink Miles' career or sink Mason Rudolph's career. And the NFL was in a lose-lose situation because they, either, they already have a violence problem, but then now they have a racism problem. And so, so they didn't want anybody to hear those tapes. So it was just much better for them to just say, ah, we looked into it. We couldn't find any tapes that were recorded. We have all these mics, but we don't actually keep that recording, except for if we use it for uh, NFL films like 40 years down the line. We're going to have <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio of every single one of you guys. But in this situation, you know, four days ago, it was too long. We already destroyed the tapes. But the NFL was just in that situation where they were just so much better off if they just buried it and that it would go away after a while. But if they actually aired it whatever it was said on there whoever was right whoever was wrong it was going to destroy one of their careers because the allegations are so serious and the nfl didn't want that black mark because they were like in the middle of it and they were going to get the black eye no matter what wow a lot of black references there joe (laughs) (laughs) yeah buddy i want to let you know i i love I love that conspiracy theory by the way i'm a good i'm a big conspiracy theory guy i like what you just said there so I have a question Thank for you. you, Pat. Now, we we do a, a game called the catchphrase game. Are you familiar? Be honest with me. I don't know if you guys – did we do this the last time I was on? If we, if we did, no, no. I loved it. <laughs> you did. That was our show catchphrase, <laughs> which suffering. is Joe Hawk Yourself, trademarked. Um, but, no, this is a new one. So what we do every single week is our huge listenership uh, – is that a word, listenership? Hmm. Okay, it is. Yeah. So our yeah, huge listenership yeah, yeah. picks a phrase that – me and Joe have to say on national television for the week. You know, we're both big-time NFL Network media talents now, so we take the phrase, they're usually ridiculous, and we say them on national media. And, mo- and the more media people that come on, they have been joining us in the Tomahawk catchphrase game. So, Pat, this is our open invitation to you to now join us in that. Some of the past phrases we've had was, you can't measure that with an abacus. Um, it's a pancake party and no one brought the syrup. What else am I missing? Biscuit wheels. Yep. On a uh, gravy train with biscuit wheels. Cucumber scientist. I'm name. no cucumber scientist, but this team looks what like they're in a pickle. So these are some of the phrases that the Tomahawk, Tomaflock listeners pick that you have to weave into one of your broadcasts for the week. Can we get a commitment from you, Pat Mack? Okay. So I've been doing something very similar with my people since ah. I've gotten on to television. So I love this game it actually uh for me it it makes the broadcast a bit more enjoyable trying to find a time to get some beauty what's that one i'm no cucumber specialist (laughs) but it feels like this team's in the middle of a pickle yep very very close the best ones that was one of the best ones yeah we killed that one have you guys got that in already yeah we we got it in we're gonna pick a new one so we pick a new one every week um okay okay so all those ones have already been in they've been done They've been done. And feel free to open it up to they your work. followers. Let them let them pick one. Maybe we'll let the Pat Mack following pick our catchphrase for the week. There was a couple times we thought we were going to get fired. Uh, but since then, the producers at the NFL Network have also joined in the game, and they love it. So now they almost help us find places to weave in these ridiculous catchphrases into the broadcast. So, you know, my people, it's uh, my friends and I, and then my listeners, they guess what they think it was. Ah, the little reverse. Oh. I like that. Does that make sense? That so does. It's like, 
Yeah, because I'm a pretty basic individual. So once you start hearing some wild shit come out, <laughs> people have to guess and figure out what was given to me by one of my smarter friends and what was not. And you, you say a lot of wild shit, too. So that actually would be pretty tough with you. <laughs> because I, I, I was going to say, that cucumber specialist one seems like one that I could fit in anywhere. <laughs> I, I feel like that one could get fit in anywhere. That sounds like a legit line. All I right. like the game. I'm in, though. Yeah. All right. We're in. We got we got the, the commitment from Pat Mack. Um, we will vote on this week. We'll vote in this week's catchphrase on Twitter and announce it on Wednesday. We'll hit you up, let you know what it was. Um, right now, we're going to let you get back to watching Sunday Night Football or getting some rest, finally, man. Don't kill yourself, okay? Just tone down all the media because you're, you're, you're turning into a superstar in front of our eyes, but I just, I'm worried about you, Pat. Well, that means a lot. I pre- and, and, you know, not a lot of people are saying that to me either. So outside of, like, my lady and my mom and my dad, no, so it feels good to get that message from the Tomahawk show. There you um, go. But with that being said, if I die doing that belly flop into that river, <laughs> what a legendary way to go out. No. Could you imagine? They would have a fucking award named after me for college football, I bet. There'd probably be a little bit of a statue right there on the river. I mean, that's a good way to go out. I, th- I thought that while I was diving. That would have been the, the last of college game day. They would have canceled college game day because you just <laughs> died on national television. Did you realize how shallow that water was? No, no. Thought it was thought it was double the depth it was, <laughs> okay. I'm going to be honest with you. You got In up. my mind, I thought it was. I Dude. thought it was eight feet. Turns out it was only four. It's all right. No big deal. That's why you belly flop. Dude, that was scary. He jumped from, uh, what was that, a, a ship, a, a boat, and belly flopped. And when he got up, the water was like at his kneecaps. He, like, stood up in the water. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what you're supposed, you're not supposed to belly flop into three feet of water, Pat. All right, well, you're alive. It was legendary, per usual. Pat, we appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk Show, my friend. Hey, thank you for having me. I mean, I'm no cucumber specialist, but (laughs) that four foot of water put me in quite a pickle up north in between my ears. Oh, goodness. Hey, you guys have a great night. Thank you so much for having me. This this is where we this is where we have the producer turn the music on in the middle of Pat's last conversation because <laughs> when I was on his show last week I was in the middle of answering the last question and he just started playing music like we we're at the Oscars and then cut me off so you know what to hey. do John tell this guy to go fuck himself he was the best if I felt so bad obviously but boy it was the best it was it really was something we don't. We don't have good tech, you know, in our particular uh, operation. We're still a, I love we're still it. a basement operation. Uh, I felt so bad. But, Joe, your brain was beautiful on the show. And same with you, Hop. Can't wait to have you on. You guys, thank you so much. That was our guy and my fellow Yenzer, Pat McAfee, mm. dropping on the Tomahawk show in that. Dan Tan. All right, what we got next, John? We got Am, am I Trippin'? Let's run it. Am I Trippin'? Trippin', trippin', trippin'. 346-pound Vita Vea became the heaviest player to catch a touchdown in NFL history, edging out 345-pound Jonathan Ogden. Am I Trippin'? Or is the defensive lineman goal line package underutilized in pro football? I'm surprised at that because I feel like Domita Pecco scored at some point, and I feel like he was definitely over 345. I don't know. I don't think I played against Pecco in college and in the NFL, and I don't think he was that big. He was a really? big boy. He was in that 325, 330, maybe 340, but 
346 is crazy fat. <laughs> crazy fat. <laughs> but all right, that was a good take, Hawk. But I'm going right. to go back real quick. Remember J.J. Watt when he was catching touchdown passes? He was actually a legitimate good tight end on the goal line. Yeah. And he was a good weapon, but... The thing that I'm interested in is, all right, they're going to say, okay, Vita Vea, now you have the official record as the fattest guy to catch a touchdown pass. Do they weigh you after the game? Like, does the Guinness Book of World Records right. show up with a scale? And it's like, hey, if you want this record, Jonathan Ogden, he weighed in at 345 the day he caught his touchdown. You got to step on the scale and you got to deserve it. You got it. And if he, what it. if he goes 344 or 343? Yeah. Does he quick go to the cafeteria and grab like a turkey leg and right. a case of beer and just try to slam them all to make sure he's over that weight so he gets the record? I mean, and what do you do? Do you, are we just down? taking people's word for it with such an important record? I don't think so. Yeah, it better not get in the Guinness. If it gets in the Guinness, I'm going to boycott it because I'm like, this needs to be official. Also, I want to think of a world record I can get. Maybe the top of five. We, we need to try to set some type of partner world record. Yes. We got to find it. the most abstract and easy oh, world record, and we got to try to set it. That is amazing. That's for the Tom of Flock listeners. We need some All voicemails right. on that one. Give us some voicemails on which partner world record Joe and I can set. This episode is brought to you by Babbel. Thinking about learning a new language? Babbel, the number one selling language learning app, is here to help. Whether you want to learn French for future travel plans or Spanish to land a new job, Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you'll actually use. Their quick, interactive lessons are built by real language experts and voiced by real native speakers. And they get you speaking about real-life topics right away. And because Babbel is available on the web and as an app, you can complete these lessons wherever you are, so you can learn at your own pace. All you need is 15 minutes a day, and you'll be on your way to confidently speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Now, for a limited time, Spotify listeners can get up to 65% off their subscription by visiting babbel.com slash Spotify. This episode is brought to you by HelloSign, a Dropbox company. Sign documents 80% faster with HelloSign, the quickest way to get e-signatures for every type of document, so you can celebrate all those successful moments sooner. If you hate waiting for signatures, HelloSign is music to your ears. Try it for free today at hellosign.com. All right, what do we got next? Here's what Gerald McCoy had to say about Christian McCaffrey during the Saints-Panthers game on Sunday. Hey, you can hear me? That's a bad white boy. Most skilled white dude in NFL history. Yeah, I said it. Hands down, I said it. It's a bad white boy right there, yeah. Am I tripping, or is Joe McCoy right? Is Christian McCaffrey the best, most skilled white guy in NFL history? Uh, I'm going to have to say yes, man. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't even know if I'm at liberty to, to give that take. I looked on Twitter, and I seen uh, Bill Belichick going over the top 100 players or maybe the like the best NFL team all time, so he's like recounting players. And there was a guy, I can't even think of his name, Dutch – something from like the 30s dutch clark and, and they showed that he did a little bit of everything he was a running back quarterback punted it and i'm not kidding my eight-year-old son <laughs> would have gave dutch clark the business i'm not trying to be disrespectful <laughs> to the clark family but i am telling you right now i would have murked dutch clark okay six-time six first-time all pro he's a hall of famer and i'm not disrespecting the time i'm just saying if black people weren't allowed to eat in the same restaurant yet, I I have a little, I have a tough time 
respecting the film. He was throwing passes, and it looked like he was throwing knuckleballs. It was it was a different game back then. <laughs> All I'm saying is when I watched Christian McCaffrey, he had a play on the goal line today where it was one-on-one with the DB, and when I say he put some of the meanest sauce I've ever seen in a short area and dead leg for a touchdown – that dude is next level, bro. I am telling you. My take is a little bit more interesting okay. than that shitty Sorry. take that you just gave us. <laughs> no disrespect to Dutch Clark. Can we man. bring back, can we please bring back the nicknames that are strictly re- related to your nationality? <laughs> Dutch Clark. Hey, you're you're, you're Dutch. You're, you're a flying Dutchman. Remember that? They used to yeah. just go strictly by your nationality. Sometimes I, I it think still that, happens. That's what we need. There's less sensitivity today. We just need to start calling people <laughs> Well, I call, I called. I interviewed Todd Gurley in the offseason. I called him Black Todd because I'm like, that's the, he's <laughs> literally, I'm not even kidding. He's the only Black Todd I've ever met in my life. Hey, do you remember the song Like Whoa by, was it Black Rob? Black was Rob, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. By the way, you'll love this. So I played high school basketball, as you may or may not know. Yeah. And we had you played against LeBron. 15 guys in the team, played against LeBron. Uh, 13 out of the 15 were white guys. And our song for the year that we went to state my sophomore year was Like Whoa by Black Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we weren't fitting in uh, at a lot of those tournaments. Oh, man, you got to love it. All right, what do we got next? Neither one of you guys answered the question. <laughs> what was I said yes, didn't I? Is he? Who else is even in the conversation? Because to me, it's a clear number one. Well, here, there's all these old timers that before they had black players in the NFL were like killing it. That Right. I've, how would we even know if they were any good? Like Red Grange? I know he's super legendary and historic, but... It's not like I've been breaking down film of these guys. Right. Dirk Walker, Red Grange, Jim Taylor, Paul Horning. These were like the white running backs before black players were largely accepted into the NFL. I mean, it's, Apparently they were killing it back then because they're still legends in today's game. Right. I mean, they had second jobs and stuff. I'm, I'm not disres- <laughs> Again, I'm not disrespecting Dutch Clark. I want to make that as clear as possible. But when they showed his highlight, it was a bunch of six-yard runs. That's all I'm saying. So even in the well, last like 30, the 40, 50 years, like even guys that you guys have played against, has anyone even come close to having the level of sauce of a Christian McCaffrey? Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think what, like a Wes Welker, maybe like a Wes Welker receiver. I'm yeah. trying to think receivers. I mean, I, I don't even think like receivers. There's no a lot back, of white so. receivers with sauce. Like Cole Beasley has sauce. Wes Welker, yep. sauce. Edelman will sauce you up. Edelman. Um Who else? Adam Thielen is breaking cats down. Like, and that's just the recent. That's not even including the. The Ed McCaffreys, who is <laughs> obvious reasons connected to this conversation. <laughs> uh, the Joe Jaravicious, the Tim Dwight's, who was stupid fast. But from a running back standpoint, who was the last great white running back? Peyton Hillis? <laughs> you can't really say he was great, though. Let, I mean, let's be clear. He had a good season and he made the cover of Madden, but you wouldn't say he was a great white running back. No. I mean, you could I, I name. Think if you go back to like John Riggins, he was probably the last one who made yeah. like multiple Pro Bowls and mm-hmm. was a great running back. And that was what nineteen early eighteen nineteen eighties eighties yeah eighties maybe yeah. I mean, the last white running backs I can think of were Brian Leonard. I played with him. Peyton Hillis. There was Gearhart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby Gearhart. Yeah. Who? Rex, yep, Rex, Toby, Burke, Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead is still out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the way Christian McCaffrey, he's just doing it. Different. I mean, he and Alvin Kamara are basically the same player. Just one is black with dreads and one is <laughs> blonde. <which> is <laughs> <laughs> Last great white corner was who, Joe Thomas? Cornerback. 
uh, Jason Seahorn. He might have been the last white corner in the league. In the league. I, I think so. I mean, I don't know how great he was, but he was just known as the only white corner in the NFL. Yeah, that's wild. As a Giants fan, we all stand for Jason Seahorn. That was our guy. Yeah, I can imagine. Really? Yeah, I can imagine. Wasn't well, He was married to like a real famous actress, wasn't he? Probably. He was Angie really good from uh, Law & Order. Angie yeah. Harmon. That's, yep. that's who it was, yeah. He was a good-looking dude. How about that? A lot but, of black quarterbacks and then a white tailback just killing it. Welcome to 2019. Look at everybody. <laughs> look at us. Who would have thought? All right. What we got next, John? Last one. Dwayne Haskins picked up his first career one Sunday, but Case Keenum kneeled the game out. Why? Because Haskins was taking selfies with fans. Redskins legend Joe Thomas ripped Haskins on Twitter. Interim coach Bill Callahan said, quote, No, I don't laugh at it. I'm happy we won, but we'll address that. Guys, am I tripping? Or is it kind of a big deal that Dwayne Haskins was taking selfies while the first-team offense was on the field in the fourth quarter? Also, you said Redskins legend Joe Thomas. Yeah, I'm not a Redskins legend. <laughs> Shouts to Joe Thomas and Joe Theismann, the actual Redskins legend. And the first offensive lineman in NFL history. Um, Joe, did you see the video last week of uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, talking to his offensive line on the sideline? Yeah, that, that was off-putting. Because until you earn the respect by how you play, you can't go uh, running and yelling at people. When I seen it, the first thing I thought was Joe Thomas is going to hate this video. I'm like, he is going to hate this kid forever. For the audience who hasn't seen it. So basically, Dwayne Haskins is on the sideline of last week's game, and he's he's in the huddle of like his offensive line sitting down, and he's like, what can I do to help you guys? What can I do to help? And some people have seen it, and they were like, oh, his O-line isn't even acknowledging him. You know, he's pushing it. I'm like, having been in that in those situations, I'm like, I don't think that's really the case. In my mind, I – those guys probably felt like he was showing them up. Um, and I'm like, Joe Thomas, again, when I seen it, the first thing I thought was Joe is not going to like this video. And today, you were right. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And so today, they actually pulled it out. I mean, Dwayne Haskins didn't play great, no. um, but they did win. He did make some plays on the final drive mm-hmm. to get them in field goal range. And then he's celebrating. He's excited as he should be his first win as a quarterback, but he was so excited that he was not prepared to go out for victory, and they ended up having to go. Case Keenum had to go kneel it out. And the bad image is Dwayne Haskins taking selfies with fans in the stands while victory formation is going on. So here's the problem with this young generation of foosballers is <laughs> they act like they've arrived after they do one good thing or one good game or even like one good season. They're right. like, oh, I've arrived. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go take selfies in the stands. When's the last time you saw Tom Brady go take selfies in the middle of a game in the stands? Mm. You don't have to answer that. We all know that answer. We know the answer. It doesn't happen because it is unprofessional. It's immature. It just shows that you don't understand the importance and the gravity of every single NFL game and the seriousness and the professionalism needed to have consistent success you haven't arrived. You shouldn't be taking selfies with anybody until you win the Super Bowl. Winning a meaningless game in the end of November on a team that's horrible when you've been absolutely dreadful is absolutely the wrong look. <laughs> and it should be 
dealt with with the most extreme iron fist from Bill Callahan. Yeah. Because you cannot tolerate this. One week after he goes over and he berates the offensive line, what do I have to do to help? Well, maybe throw some freaking touchdown passes to our team. <laughs> Don't throw interceptions to the other team. How about that? Don't celebrate. Don't come over here and try to show wins. us up like, like we're the ones that are holding you back. Get out of here with that shit. This is a good moment to play me and Joe crying in the locker room after winning one game in week 15 <laughs> of the season. Yeah, but we weren't taking selfies with true the fans in the middle of the game. Very you true. know, here's a, here's a quick one. So when Eric Mangini was our coach, he told us we couldn't like look into the stands. And I was so afraid of him. This was my third year in the NFL. I'd made wow. two Pro Bowls already that I had some high school teachers that had gone to Arizona to watch me play. And I was going out for like the early, early warmups, you know, not even the warmups, uh-huh. but my, my teacher had come down to the front row and was like, Hey Joe, Hey Joe. And I like looked over there out of the corner of my eye, but I was so afraid to turn my head because I thought I was going to get like fined and suspended by Eric Mangini that uh-huh. I just totally ignored him <laughs> the entire game. And as soon as I got back to the locker room after the game, I texted him like, so sorry, man. I wish I could go over and like say hi, but our coach said we're not allowed to like look into the stands in pregame or like even mm-hmm. turn around. And not saying that that was the right approach, but like, how far have we come in, in <laughs> ten in under a decade where guys now are leaving the game in the middle in the of the middle. game to go take selfies with the fans and just giving up their player performance money to other players in order to take a picture with the fans? By the way, so if you're he's a first round pick, so he's got a he's higher salary, but yeah. One play is probably worth what, like five, seven hundred bucks of player performance of his. Yeah, yeah, probably. So he willingly gave up seven hundred dollars mm-hmm. to go take a selfie with somebody in the stands. So for people in the audience that don't know what player performance checks are, basically you get a bonus at the end of the season based on how much you play. The higher your salary is, the lower per play bonus you get. So if you're a guy like me and you were an undrafted guy and you have like a league minimum salary and you play a ton of plays, at the end of the year, that gets tallied up. Uh, My biggest player performance check, I think was $220,000. Because I was making such a small salary, but I played so much during the season. The teams write those checks? Yeah, the team writes those checks. Yep, and each player gets it. So if you're the highest paid player on the team, your performance bonus is low because they expect you to be playing a lot because we're paying you so much money. So Dwayne Haskins probably forfeited about 500 bucks on that one play. It was one of the great things that the NFL did with one of those the last CBAs. Yeah, was, it was. Uh, Thank player God for performance that. Because it actually it rewards the guys who should get it, the guys that don't have a high salary but that are playing a lot and contributing to their team. So yeah. it's, it's pretty good. But Dwayne, he gave that up. So um, anyways. Yeah. Vontez Burfick. Let's do some run pass option. Okay. <laughs> Just a random Vontez Burfick drop. <laughs> run pass option. Run it. Run it or pass it. Run it. Run, run, run pass option. All right. Producer John tees up a topic, and me and Joe have the option of either running with it and talking about it or passing on it because ultimately. I do care, Hawk. We don't care, John. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Kickers, MVP candidates, and overturned PI. Defined epic Saints win over Panthers. Joe, running or pass it? Pass. Mm. I am, talk too much about kickers. Yeah, I'm going to run it um, because this week the NFL saw two pass interference challenges overturned. One was a pick play, the Jets in Oakland, and then the other was a no call uh, against the, the Saints in 
Panthers, the one you talked about. And it's funny because the Saints are the reason this whole option to challenge P.I.s was out there, and they almost lost the game because they actually finally overturned one versus the Saints. It's like the ultimate punch to the gut. Like, we hate you for ruining football and ruining our rule, and we're going to use your own medicine against you. So that was Al Riveron trolling the Saints. And yes. Sean Mc, uh, Sean. Sean Payton. Payton. I almost yep. said Sean McDermott. Too many damn Sean coaches in the NFL. There is. A lot of Sean coaches, a lot of Allen quarterbacks. That playoff game and the game today were both in New Orleans. See, that rule screwed them twice. Yes. Before it happened that. and then afterwards. Duck answers the call for Pittsburgh. Bengals now 0-11. Hawk, run it or pass it? Ugh, I'm going to pass it. You want to know why? Perfect, because no. All right. all right pass i'm gonna run it thank you and what i'm gonna talk about is the bengals and how idiotic it was for them to bench andy dalton because i guarantee if andy dalton's playing in this game they win by two scores pittsburgh looked dreadful Mm. like you mentioned juju smith schuster was out james connor was out mason rudolph was lights out and then he got suspended and the duck he answered the call but Andy Dalton's in there they win the Bengals they are clearly tanking mm. end of story you didn't even get to the timer real quick you guys think uh, the Bengals will take Chase Young number one or would they take a quarterback I think they take Chase Young as much as Burrow is balling and I think he's the quarterback that everyone suspects to be the number one overall pick or the top quarterback taken he is from Athens Ohio which is very close to Cincinnati was at Ohio State for a little bit. I still think the Bengals go with Chase Young. A, because of the Brown family loves Ohio State products. And B, he seems like the most can't-miss player in this draft. And I get it. They need a quarterback if they're it's separating from Andy Dalton and moving on to the next era. But he can't tackle. And Chase Young can literally change a whole side of the ball instantly. Joe? They're going to go quarterback because quarterback's the most important position in sports. They're moving on from Andy Dalton. And as much as Chase Young would help their defense, defense hasn't been their biggest problem. They need better play what? at quarterback, and so that's why they're going to go quarterback. Did Have you seen their defense? It's not their biggest problem. Well, first of all, they're 0-11, so they got a lot of problems. <laughs> but their offense is why they suck. No. Their, their defense, to me, is worse than their offense. And you can make the right. case that the offense is bad and the worst, too. I'm not going to argue that. But this is right. the same guy who said Miles Garrett is still the right choice in a draft that had Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes because you can't pass on that kind of talent at number one when he's a guaranteed home run well here's what i'll say is in recent history it's been much easier to find a franchise quarterback in the top half of the first round than it has been to find the potential defensive player of the year on uh in in the nfl all right we'll fact check that think about think about like and, and i'm not saying that as a defensive end you change the game more than a quarterback but i'm saying it's harder to find that generational change of the game pass rusher right now than it is to find a franchise quarterback. Look how many franchise quarterbacks have come out of the last three NFL drafts. I mean, there's been a lot of them. Since the game has opened up and become much more of a RPO running and passing uh, type game for quarterbacks, these guys from college have had a much easier time transitioning to the pro game, and it's been much easier to find them. Just frankly, uh, 
there's been a ton of them that have come out, and you haven't seen that uh, on the defensive side of the ball. You can think of who are the greatest defensive linemen in the NFL right now. Aaron Donald, of course, but Miles Garrett is probably in that top five conversation. Yeah. All right, what we got next? Seahawks soar over Eagles. Wentz source passes over his receivers' heads. Ooh. Joe, run it or pass it? Pass it. I am going to pass it as well. Buccaneers outduel Falcons 35 22. Hawk, run it or pass it? Hmm. I am going to run it. Uh, Jameis Winston is a turnover machine. <laughs> and I don't understand why. He is still playing. He is very good sometimes, and he does some very special things. I'm not taking that away. But I feel like we've had more than enough of a sample size of the Jameis Winston experience that I don't understand why he's never – he hasn't been benched permanently, and they've said, okay, it's time to move on. I don't get that. I mean, he's literally – he's had 100 interceptions. He threw his 100th interception. He has the most turnovers of any quarterback during the time he's been in the NFL. Say all that to say, the Bucks they won. won. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Bucks Falcons runner to pass it. Yeah, I'm actually going to run this because this game right here was a game that the Falcons needed to win, and I'm going to say that for Dan Quinn, unfortunately, this was the nail in the coffin. They had a nice little two game run there for a minute. That all of a sudden people were thinking, well, maybe Dan Quinn can sacri- uh, can save his career here with. A nice little run at the end of the season, kind of build some momentum, but uh, losing to the, the Jameis Winston-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe, was the nail in the coffin. They are not going to fire him in the season because they are a smart ownership group that understands firing a coach in the middle of the season does nothing but create <laughs> turmoil and drama that's unnecessary, but they're going to fire him after the end of the season, and this was the nail in the coffin. Mm. Moving Ooh. on. Patriots smother Cowboys in messy Massachusetts melee. Joe, run it or pass it. I'm going to run this one. And this is Jason Garrett take right here. I know Jason Garrett was a guy that's criticized a lot, but he embodies completely the old school mentality of risk aversion. And that is what's wrong with old school coaches. And that's why there's so many young coaches that are successful in today's NFL is because they're taking a analytics odds statistics approach to their decision-making. And they're not just avoiding taking risks because they're afraid to stand up in front of the press conference after a game and answer why they went for it on fourth down. I don't know if you saw the game, but Jason Garrett decided to kick a field goal right at the end of the game when he should have gone for uh, for it on fourth down and give their team a chance to win because the Patriots' defense is the best defense in the NFL. You're not going to be able to kick a field goal, get the ball back, and then go down and kick another field goal. So um, this is what's wrong with old-school risk-averse NFL coaches. Hawk, runner, runner to pass it. I am going to pass it. All right, Joe's used three runs. I like that take a lot, Joe. Hawk's got one more run left. Can I just pick my run? Sure. I want to go with the Detroit Lions. So, the Detroit Lions lost today to the Washington Redskins. The Washington Redskins are a bad football team. They have an interim head coach. They have a rookie quarterback who was taking selfies at the end of the game while the game was still going on. They are visibly bad, okay? And the Detroit Lions lost to them. Now, I make that declaration because Matt Patricia is now in his second season 
with the Detroit Lions. And I believe their record is what now? Three, seven, and one. Does that sound right? Or three, six, and one? Um, last year they were six and ten. He is now two seasons. They're going to be bad again for the remainder of this year. The four seasons prior to that with Jim Caldwell, they were eleven and five, seven and nine, nine and seven, nine and seven. And he got fired. So how much longer do you think Matt Patricia lasts in Detroit? Understanding what he replaced and understanding where they are now. Pretty good take. I, I thought when they fired Jim Caldwell, that was a tremendous mistake. You can't fire a guy that's giving you a winning record every single season. And this is the problem a little bit. So NFL fans as a whole are kind of like overly testosterone-driven, tough guy type things. I know mm-hmm. there's lots of women too, but the, the same goes yeah. for them. Like, they, There's nothing more than they like seeing a, a coach rip a, a new one for a player and like get in a referee's ear and march up and down the sideline and throw their hands up in the air, which is just high school hairy coaching and it does nothing for professional athletes. But when you get a coach that's reserved that does not do those type of sideline antics, all of a sudden fans get this perception like they're not trying hard or they don't care or that you need a, a much more disciplined, harder-nosed coach when in reality, you don't really know what the coach is like when he's with his players just because of how he stands on the sideline or how he interacts with the media. And I felt like Jim Caldwell got a, a, a bad shake because he wasn't that like fire and brimstone from the lectern type coach. And he didn't see it on the sideline, even though he did a really good job in Detroit and unfortunately got fired. And now we're seeing Matt Patricia, who he may be a good coach. He may not be coach. I don't know, but he's done way less with the same group of guys that mm-hmm. Jim Caldwell did. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. How much slack does Matt Patricia get with Matt Stafford being hurt? Um, I don't know. I don't think he gets a lot, to be honest. Because I don't, I don't feel like NFL fan bases do well with giving slack. Even though Matt Stafford is hurt, like they still lost a lot of games that were they were in and they, they could have. I, I remember Jim Caldwell, who was the head coach of the Colts, he went 14 and 2, 10 and 6, and then he went 2 and 14 when Peyton Manning wasn't there and it set him up to get Andrew Luck and he got fired after the season mm. for the 2 and 14 season. There was no like, "Oh, you didn't have Peyton Manning. Here's Andrew Luck." <laughs> it was a clean break and then he went right to um I don't know where he went after that actually. I think he went as a coordinator before he ended up in Detroit, but mm-hmm. yeah, still it's yeah, I don't think they do well with giving slack. It's the record is the record. By the way, Hawk, didn't you do an internship with the Lions? I did. I did do an internship. So I feel like maybe I'm the only one hearing this, but are you saying Detroit incorrectly? Because I'm hearing you say Detroit instead of Detroit. Yeah. And I believe the proper pronunciation is Detroit. I think it's Detroit. Detroit. Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. Well, maybe it needs I, to be. And Eminem Detroit. calls it Detroit. So if Eminem calls it Detroit. I'm calling it Detroit. Right, I'm wrong. Maybe I've been saying it wrong all these years. <laughs> I mean, if, if B-Rabbit calls it Detroit, Detroit basketball, that's the same. Yep. It's not Detroit basketball. So maybe you're wrong, Joe. And M&Ms are a candy bar. All right. It's time for the Tomahawk Catchphrase game. Finalist picks list, whatever you want to call it. Here oh, my go. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Here's the, here's the first one. You don't put a turkey in in your band just because he brought his own drumsticks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do we even need to read the rest of them? That's pretty good. That is good. All right. Number two, invite him over for Thanksgiving dinner. Very to the point. Definitely eliminated. Number three, 
He's going to break off the bigger half of the wishbone this year. Hmm. It's a little football-y. If you're covering Navy, which Pat McAfee may be doing on a Thursday night football on ESPN, <laughs> that might make sense. Number four, there's multiple ways to skin a cat, but only one way to stuff a turkey. Love it. In on that one. Uh, put some extra pumpkin spice on that. Never even had pumpkin spice. Uh, but yeah, so those are the, the, are those the final options? These are five finalists. We were going to pick three from this okay, and vote on social media, but it sounds like it's a two-horse race for you guys. I feel like it's a two-horse race, but I want to get some input from Joe first. What do you got, Joe? What do you think about the list? One and four are clearly the favorites, but I would love to bring back. You don't have to be a sport to play one. That's still one yeah. that I, I really want to get in there someday. Let's do there's multiple ways to skin a cat, but only one way to stuff a turkey. <laughs> Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. I mean, Peter might come after us, but it is what it is cooking. at this point. Yeah, multiple ways to skin a cat, but only one way to, to stuff a turkey. Um, yeah. I, oh, man. I also like number one, man. You don't put a turkey in your bed just because he brought his own drumsticks. All right, how about we do right. either one of them? How about that? Well, let's, let's do it too. Okay, well, let's try to do both of them. All right. Perfect. Well, whatever one we work in, that'll work. It's Thanksgiving. It's the holidays. You know, let's 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 get in the spirit. Double up, two plates. Double up, two plates. Two hands, two fisted. All right, here we go. Uh, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Make sure you interact with us on social media at Tomahawk Show. Hit up our Facebook group at Tomaflock. Don't need to know if there's an at on Facebook. Hit the voicemail line up four four zero six two eight one three seven six. Joe. Give me your final thoughts. My final thoughts is my person of the week, which is a new segment I've just declared as of right now. Wow. Is Brown's yeah. co-owner, D. Haslam. Yes. For those of you in Cleveland, you may know her as a wonderful lady that helps out throughout the community. She's co-owner of the Browns. She does amazing things, and she's also a wonderful person. Well, on Sunday, she wore a Miles Garrett hat to the stadium mm. to troll her yes. own NFL because of the support and the love that they have for Miles Garrett. Now, I, I know the Haslam family has received some tough criticism from fans going through some tough stretches, especially early on. And, um, you know, deservedly so. The team has not been very good. And it's a reflection of management and ownership, of course, early on. But I will say that this ownership group that they have right now are wonderful people. They support the players and the team and the city in an amazing way. And when you get to know them, they're wonderful, fabulous people. And I loved the fact that D wore the Miles Garrett hat out there on the field and got a little bit of publicity for it. And the message was loud and clear coming from ownership. Mm. And that was a big middle finger to Roger Goodell and all those people that have sided against Miles and against the Browns in the Browns versus Steelers melee. I love it. Now it is time to let Pat McAfee give us possibly the greatest outro in Tomahawk history. Take us out, Pat. Hey, listen, what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to go inside. I'm going to need you to lock the door. I'm going to need you to put all the blinds down, okay? Maybe light a couple candles. Maybe put in a DVD of a campfire movie up on the television screen light some incense sit down on the couch uh go ahead and maybe peek over at the mirror look back at the tv campfire and uh joe hawk yourself <laughs>